Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello and welcome back to the Walkover Report Podcast Extra. You join us after, guess what? Another absolute humming. This time off Cardiff, done 4 0. We said bottom of the league. Things are looking probably worse than they did last week. It just seems to be getting worse week on week on week. We've got a big game at the weekend, probably a big match that will decide our future and, and probably our opponents as well, who are not looking too clever either in hold. So, based on that and based on the game at the weekend, we've got Les from Amber Nectar, which is a whole fan site. How are you doing, Les? Are you well? Uh, as long as I don't think about football, yeah, I'm quite good. Well, I know where you're coming from with that. Um, it's not been a great season for either of us, has it? No, we must be the two most depressed uh, fan bases in the championship, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I was I was writing about previous games, and the really weird thing is it feels like Sunderland and Hull play relegation six-pointers every other season. Yeah, um, we might have another one next season as we uh, see if we can slide into the bottom division too. <laughs> I hope not for, uh, for our sake, but I mean... From from afar, to be honest, you can see that Hull are struggling, and it kind of took me by surprise how far down you were up until you know a couple of months ago when I was looking. But it's difficult sometimes to look outside of your own football club when you're having the season that Sunderland are having. So I suppose it's probably a fair question for me to ask. But how are things at Hull at the moment? They're really not good, and we knew this was coming too. Um, over, over the last couple of years since the. Alan's name change debacle um, and the fact that they've not been able to get their hands on the stadium, which is like a municipally owned asset, which is probably the reason that they bought the club in the first place. It feels like our owners have been out to sort of punish um, supporters any any way that they can, you know, some of the petty ways are withdrawing concessions so that uh, senior citizens and children pay the same prices as adults, which has had a massively uh, deleterious impact on our fan base. It just seems that every couple of months to come up with a new novel idea to sort of try and torture the fan base. And it, it's pretty clear that they're, they're now just going to say, well, tell you what, let's not invest in the team. Let's not really bother what happens with it. Let's just take the parachute payments and, and take that money ourselves. So I think we we sort of knew this was coming. Um but we, we still thought, you know, even a fairly poor team should be able to challenge in the championship or at least be in a playoff spot, even without a, a load of investment. But what we've had has been just dreadful. Yeah, I think I, I kind of feel your pain with that completely. I thought, you know, it wouldn't be fantastic. And, and maybe I didn't think playoffs and, and wasn't of that level, but I would have expected Hull to be to be pushing for that. And I would have expected us to be at, at the very least safe and sort of mid-table. But it, it just goes to show you how if things don't work sort of, above the team and the manager, how how south it can really go. And I mean, 
we all know about issues with with chairmans. I was, in in my opinion, is is completely killing the club, and it feels like he he's literally done pretty similar to what you've just said, and just took himself away. And, and in our case, he's put Martin Bain forth to take all of the flack, which you know probably is deserving because he, he hasn't had the greatest greatest tenure as a in his role at the moment either, to be honest. But mm. I'll be honest with you, from a, an outside perspective, the Allens that a lot of the a lot of the the negativity that came from that, from an outside perspective, was the name change and the things that went with it. it went a little bit quieter, but is that just a case of them just not caring anymore? I mean, take us through a timeline of since you've been relegated we're under the Alums. What's the situation right now? You've touched on it a little bit, but well, like I'm, I'm going to guess that's what the you know outside the the name change was a, an attention grabbing thing, but but things haven't really improved since then. There's there's been very little in the way attempt to sort of build bridges. There was a, a couple of fan consultation meetings um, about a week prior to the Alums meeting the Queen, who, who was coming to Hull, and one of the things he was coming for was to open a medical centre that the Alums have put some money into, and there was a, a strong suspicion that the the said oh. Tell you what, let's organise a meeting with the fans to try and quell any dissent, so that there's no like, uh, no, no, no protesting in front of the Queen or something like that. That I think that's the sort of cynical way the the relationship has descended to now. But um, it, it just seems clear that they're not going to invest in the team, um, and and some of the choices they make made a bit a, a bizarre. I mean, the appointment of Leonard Slutsky, the the former Russia manager. I mean, you know, on paper it sounds like a good appointment, but it didn't really work in the championship. Um, and we've we've since sacked him and brought in Nigel Adkins, who's brought with him some twee positivity and and sound bites. Um, but. We're not playing any better. In 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 fact, we're we're still losing games. It's just we're not scoring at all now. We you know we've showed up the defence a little bit, but we're just not scoring. I mean, the, the game against Reading on Saturday, um, it was a game against two very poor teams, bereft of ambition. The game felt like sensory deprivation torture, where at the end of the game you you didn't know who you were or what day it was, and it just seemed, really seems to just sum up the malaise at the moment. And you know, the worst part of Sunderland and Hull City being so far down the bottom of the championship is it's not even as if it's a really good competitive league you've got one good team in Wolves and everyone else is just awful I'm, I'm really staggered by the the poor standard of the football in the championship this season compared to just a couple of years ago when we were last in it it's, it's absolutely rotten um, I mean I, I I've tried my very hardest not to be that sort of Premier League fan so to speak but I mean the, the level of football is really really poor a lot of the teams I mean that the better teams in the league I mean Cardiff hammered us 4-0 on Saturday and to be honest I didn't watch them and and think they were brilliant I just watched us and thought how easy we made it for them everything was it was percentage football which obviously has always worked for Warnock but there's no team I've sat and watched apart from and I mean we even got a draw against Wolves which was weird that was a complete anomaly but there's no team I've watched this season and thought wow you know that they're good they're well put together it's just a lot of it's kick and rush football and it's the fact that we're struggling so bad is just it's horrible to watch it's awful yeah and it feels like a damning indictment of the running of the two clubs by the respective owners and the people have put in charge doesn't it yeah it really really does I mean I've got a question here for you where it basically kind of outlines I think how you probably feel and you, you, you I can hear it in your voice already I mean but I've got the question here it says you're sitting just above the relegation places and not for the first time in the last decade we have that six point as I was touching on before are you getting as tired of it as, as we are yeah absolutely um 
I mean, in the last couple of years, a lot of supporters have chosen to to boycott going to games under the Alums. Um, I don't think it had anything to do with relegation. All of that never helps the attendance. But I think a lot of people have felt, while the owners have removed concessions, I think they feel morally, how can they go to games knowing that their cheap tickets have been subsidised by senior citizens and children paying full price? Um, but even given the, the, the poor attendances, that they get, they're getting worse week on week. We had uh, must have had 12,000 in the ground against Reading. And, and people can just, it, it feels like the club's just been slowly wound down it feels like a, a business that's about to be put into administration by businessmen that just don't care and don't have any feeling for the football. It's pretty clear that our owners aren't football fans. They, they, they couldn't explain the offside law if their lives depended on it. And it, and it just feels that all they're in it for um, is, is the parachute payments at this point. And it just gives gives the fans just nothing to, to cling on to, no sense of hope. You know, we had a, a macabre discussion about what grounds we haven't been to in League One when we inevitably get relegated. And, you know, there was a vague excitement about going to Fleetwood, for example. But, um, you know, that, that's about the height of our ambition at the moment because it just it just feels like everything has been deliberately slowly wound down. And, and it's funny you mention that. There's, a, there's Obviously, we have a, a feature on, on Rogue Report ourselves on the site, which is called Cans and Megabus, which is by by my best mate, and, and uh, which is Tom. Um, and, it, and it's it's, it's hilarious. I, I find it really funny, and I, I don't mind saying that because it's, it's not my piece. It's, it's Tom's. Um, and it, basically, he goes to – he has for a few years, he'll do the, the away games on a Megabus and, and drink cans on the Megabus, and that, that's kind <laughs> of his, his shtick. Um, and it, it's hilarious, but – the more games it's gone on, the more he's wrote about it. It's got less about the match and more about just, you know, what he experienced in the city that day because the match is so irrelevant and boring and pointless. And I, I hear that in your voice. You feel you're, you're going to the same as we are. It does feel like a club that just, it's not even stuck in the mud. It's it's six feet under almost, isn't it? Yeah, if I think if we were on a megabus right now, I think we'd be driving it into the River Humber and, uh, you know, <laughs> towards the same. And that, the really sad thing is, um, you know, I love that style of article because, you know, it, it talks about the fact that even though the football's dreadful, you know, the camaraderie of between the fans can be absolutely fantastic. But I feel as if Hull City fans are even being denied that because um, one, of, one of the crazy schemes they, they did was to say, right, we're going to move where the away fans are. And so a couple of thousand Hull City fans were told they were moving seats, whether they liked it or not. And then after relegation, the owners decided to close the upper tier. So anybody had a had a, a season pass in the upper tier um, were told they needed to find seats elsewhere. And one fan was telling me recently that um, this is his fourth season in a different seat because every year the club writes to him and say, you can't sit where you want to sit anymore. You need to choose somewhere else. And, and this whole business of removing the concessions where people are bringing the children and families and, and they're they're being forced to move to different areas of the ground because the pricing's been done on zones rather than you know the age of the person going it's just destroyed all of that camaraderie of you know you go to a game and you know who the people on the row behind you are and you know the people on the row in front of you because the, the fans have just been spread like a diaspora and people have been moved stand every season so even that normal camaraderie and, and gallows humor of the people around you that you know that you can cling on to that's been willfully destroyed too so people are like sat amongst people they've never met before watching absolutely dreary football in a morgue-like atmosphere and and everything just feels hopeless and lost it's it's really depressing you, you, you could quite easily be discussing Sunderland here. I mean, we we are, 
I suppose in the sense we haven't had the the concession things really took me aback. That that's that's almost spiteful. That's insane. Yeah, really um, that's mental. Well, I mean, you're you're punishing your fans who've been loyal for for many years and are now on a fixed income, and you're dissuading your fans of the future. And you know, it, it's not long in in my supporting lifetime where you'd walk through Hull City Centre and all you would see is Liverpool and Leeds United shirts. And we've finally got to the point where we've where we'd risen up the leagues. You know, it's it's ten years this season since our first promotion to the to the Premier League after rising from the the old fourth division. Um, and and we finally got to the point where kids in the in the city are proud of the team and they will walk around wearing the colours and the club are themselves willfully destroying that and it and it, it just it doesn't make any sense even you know even if you just resign yourself to football being a business what awful business sense that is what awful branding sense just everything about it stinks and uh, yeah it's just it's it, it's hard to, uh, to to look forward to any weekend and any game you're going to you, you sort of do it out of a, a you know habituation a, a, a drudging sense of loyalty rather than any sense of this is going to be fun yeah I mean it, it's funny I mean I, I don't really like admitting this because as you say before you, you kind of feel like it's your duty but I, I'm a to, to Glasgow about six years ago and I, I've had a season ticket since 97 um, and, and this season I just I, I kind of I, I paid well, we pay in like direct debit installments it's, it's something that you can do with the club and it's something I've I've done pretty much since I've been able to since I've I've had to pay for my own one and my dad hasn't covered it because I was too little to, to get a job um, and, and I paid basically three installments and this season I, I just I couldn't pay the last one and, and it wasn't being sick of being relegated it wasn't being sick of um going uh, going down and, and the, the, the quality of football. A lot of it was towards the, the chairman and a lot of it was like, look, I'm 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 not bothered with this anymore. And a few of the lads, I mean Tom there's a few Tom who does Kansas Megabus, he's he's an away day man. He he goes to all the away games, he'll go to the occasional home game. Um and a few of the other lads I'm with as well are, are home and away or at least away games. But for me, I, I said look lads I, I need a two month break from this because it's <laughs> waning on me too much and uh we we beat nottingham forest with one shot to their 25 and i thought you know what i think i think chris coleman deserves to have me back i'm really stoked up by him and i went back against it was barnsley on new year's day and like i I don't mean to i don't mean to make it sound I, i can't i can't put into words but jesus christ it was dead i mean as soon as we conceded everyone just kind of was like oh well this is not going to get any better this is shite and and it is and every game just feels like a a chore and you're turning up to matches and it all stems from above at Sunderland and it sounds exactly like the same at Hull but I'm I'm absolutely flabbergasted by as you put it the business sense of Mm. the Allens basically punishing people because you stood by your morals yeah yeah I mean most businesses would be really proud um, that their customers value the existing brand so much that they fight to keep it when there's a rebrand yeah you know I always think of like when Kellogg's changed Cocoa Pops to Choco Crisp and there was like outraged children saying, oh, we miss our Cocoa Pops. And, uh, you know, Kellogg's was so like taken aback by people 
loving their old their old brand identity that they changed it back and the exact opposite's happened with Hull City and I, don't, I hate talking about football in a in a monetary business sense because to me football is a is a community enterprise it's like a you know a, a shared civic thing that you do it's not it's not about money but even if you you take it down to that level you you wouldn't be get angry that people have said well how dare people you know voice the voice the disdain of of a you know giving ourselves a cheap american name because we think it might you know trick some chinese people into giving hull city money which is never going to happen anyway we don't have we don't have any long history of being in the in the premier league and and yeah it has all just become miserable i mean i don't really care what division hull city are in really i'll 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 support them whatever you know my formative years were watching them in the fourth division when it was called that and then um the amber nectar fanzine started 20 years ago next month when we were in the in the as it was called then the third division we had 19 solid years of being in the bottom division so we've we've got no real sense of oh we belong in the premier league we we all city fans genuinely don't think that um but we would like to enjoy supporting the club again and sometimes i look back to those like trips to Rochdale and Cheltenham and some of what felt at the time really gloomy stuff in the in the bottom division but at least we had some sense of belonging towards the club and and we, f- we felt like a, a quasi ownership of the club and, and it was ours you know now it's made pretty clear to us that it's not ours and that the owner will do what they want with it and you know when when you when you're sort of told you're not wanted how how long can you can you withstand that that kind of sort of assault on your love for a football club? And I, I could, you know, somebody was telling me today about how they went for years and they just couldn't face it anymore. And and the they, did, they didn't feel like there was a part of it, and they felt that the, the the club hated the fans so much that what was the point of spending lots of money on going to watch them? You know, you don't you don't pay to go somewhere where you're clearly not wanted. Um, and it's quite heartbreaking to listen to, really, because I I don't know what else to do with myself if I'm not watching Hull City on a weekend. It's like asking me to. To, you know, cut an, cut an arm or a leg off, but I, I can see for many people it, it's got to the point. Maybe that says something about me, and, and maybe it says something about there's not much to do in the city of Hull. But I find myself going to Italy to watch Sampdoria a couple of times a season, and that's probably the only time I enjoy football live. Um, is is when I'm escaping the country and going watching Serie A football, um, because I, I can't get that sense of of, of belonging in my own city, which is an incredible thing to to admit. It is. And I mean, we haven't lost our identity, I don't think, but I think we've certainly, and we haven't lost that the club is ours, but I do feel like we have lost almost like what Sunderland is about. And a lot of people, you know, over time have spoken about Sunderland needs this and they need that and they need to find their identity back. And I feel like we've tried so many different identities under this chairman that we've eventually just kind of like died. Mm. Um, and, And it really does feel like we're, a, a dead football club at the moment and it's it's really difficult to put into words for me because there's not a word for it we've gradually been declining for the past sort of six seasons and just turned into this utter shit and i mean like the slogans that we have are absolutely mental like they keep doing this thing where they, they keep like we, we announced a third strip this season which was like a gray color and it was apparently about our mining heritage oh, and our future is rooted in our history was the tagline. And yeah, I can buy into that if Niall Quinn's the chairman who understands what's going on. But you've got this Texan billionaire that's saying, oh, I can't sell the club. I'm not putting it into the right hands and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. So I don't want to sell the club unless it's to the right person. And 
this guy doesn't even go to the matches anymore. It's quite obvious he doesn't give a shit. Mm. And I mean, he's mismanaged it for so long. And we can all make mistakes. We can all make mistakes. But it, you have to rem- remedy them or at least hand it on to someone who, who can. And I, I refuse to believe that these people interested in the club can be any worse than him. I mean, yeah. I know we're coming out with stupid slogans. Like, slogans are like, I mean, bringing out a strip that's grey that is about our mining heritage, you just think, but you don't give a fuck, mate. You don't know what you're doing. And I mean, we've got a social media team that support different football clubs. Everyone behind the scenes, the people who have the ability to change things, much like yours, have no idea what Sunderland are as a city, let alone a football club. And it sounds like Cole have that. Exactly. Yeah, the same absolutely. Thing. Um, there was there was a slogan for when they when uh, the, the, they thought it was a brilliant idea to get rid of season passes and come up with rolling membership. Um, and yeah, our, our owners think the sort of left field thinking geniuses that are going to change football. That was what the the whole whole Tigers business was part of. That was that. Um, but when they when they launched these memberships, the slogan was "End Your Stripes," and you know that really irks people that have been going all of their life. And you think well, we've not earned our stripes by now watching the club when it was at its lowest ebbs and we was throwing money in a bucket because the you know the club was facing winding up orders and we were you know getting beat by Scarborough and stuff you know don't tell us that we're earning out stripes you know and perhaps I wouldn't mind if like we had an away kit and they said oh it's black because it's the colour of the owner's soul or something I could I could maybe <laughs> oh that made me laugh that's, what, that's impressed me about someone you was talking then about sort of fans feeling a loss of identity um, I was always really impressed by the fans museum that was put together by Michael Ganley yeah. uh, and that inspired me with, with Hull being the city of culture in 2017 because it was pretty clear that the Alums didn't want to do anything that was associated with Hull, Hull Council because they, they, they wouldn't sell them the stadium it was obvious the club weren't going to be involved in the city of culture year and that that personally offended me because I think how can you have a celebration of Hull and not mention the football club? It doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter that they've not been particularly successful. They've been a part of this city for 113 years. So I myself, inspired by what Michael Ganley had done with the supporters, uh, with the with the fans museum, I approached one of the local museums here and said, could I put on a three-month exhibition showing the history of Hull City's playing kits and put some of my collection of match-worn kits on? Um, so, I, you know, I'd sort of like to say public thanks to Michael Ganley because because he was the, the, you know, seeing what he was doing on social media with the Sunderland Fans Museum was a little bit of the inspiration by me trying to represent Hull City in the City of Culture year. The City of Culture is a, a, a thing I took very hard. Apparently Coventry is a better place than Sunderland. I, I, I disagree on that, but there you go. Well, nonetheless. the only thing I can suggest is perhaps Coventry needs more of a reputational boost than Sunderland is. Maybe look at it, uh, try and look at it as a positive in that sense. I spoke about this on a podcast a few weeks ago. If you've never been to Jackie White's market, you've never really lived. And I know that's something I'm just saying to it, but it's got the the worst smelling smell of salmon that comes from it. But Jackie White's market is an institution and the bridges, there's better shopping centers, I'm sure, but none, none quite like the bridges, you know? So I was, I was disappointed that Coventry, who, as far as I, I last checked, don't even own their own stadium or have a half decent football team, not like we do, but you know, nonetheless, won over us. I was very sorely disappointed. Also, narrowly missed was was Paisley. With me living in Glasgow, that's quite close as well. So I was, it was a bit of a sore point for me. That a bit of a sore point. For me. You know, speaking, <laughs> speaking of Coventry, um, a couple of years ago, when a fans delegation met Asamalam, and it was this three-hour 
meeting that was absolutely bewildering. But um, during one part of it, he was talking about how other clubs use their stadium to generate income. And he was he was absolutely amazed because Derby had a KFC in one of the stands. But then he said, he said, oh, Coventry City, they've got a Jaguar showroom in their stadium and it makes the club money. And I just said, well, you know that they've been playing in Northampton for the last four years. And you thought... I, I, how, how much is that indicative of the just absolute don't careness of the owners that they're stating Coventry City as a fine example of of using the stadium when Coventry City are playing at six wheels in Northampton? I, th- I think that told me everything I needed to know about Asim Alam right there. Do you do you get uh, like kind of sporadic moments where they try to to show that they care? Though we we get a video or a, an open letter every six months when things are like really shit. We get like fast videos, um, usually a couple of weeks before the transfer window, where the owner's son. Um, talks about what the, what the club's objectives are in the transfer window. They've stopped talking to the local press because they, they can't stand anybody you know questioning anything they do and and not just ac- accepting everything they say. So they so they only really do like official ones on the on the club's website now, and they're they're, they're just dreadful and the drivel and. It's always funny to watch them six months later and see what of what of what he said has come to pass, and usually it's none of it. Well, we we had a when we got relegated under um, the Satan himself, David Moyes. Um, we uh, we we got a, a letter that said, you know, we're, we're going to outline from from Ella Show, of course. They're going to outline the plans for. You know how we move forward or something like that. I can't remember the exact quote. I wish I had it in front of me, but it was something where we, we were going to find out what the plan was moving forward. It's now um it's now January. Um I'm I'm not really sure what the plan is. I don't unless it's going backwards to go forwards, because if that's the plan, it's work and do a treat. But we, we get these things, and again, it's it's through official channels. Like I, I feel like if he did like I mean Niall Quinn, when Niall Quinn was the chairman, he used to do like a uh, a load of meetings. Um, it was to, to go on the season tickets. Don't get me wrong. It was to persuade people to buy season tickets. Now Quinn never was too secretive about that. Um, but he would go out and have meetings with fans, real fans, ones at the stadium, ones in like South Shields, uh, ones in uh, Whitburn. As far as I remember, a few different places. And he'd talk. And, and you know what? You would listen to now Quinn because he put himself on the line in front of real fans. Didn't know what he was going to be asked. And, and second of all, you know that now Quinn understands the football club. So when a, an a Texan billionaire who's ran the club into the ground or, uh, you know, your owner does exactly the same sort of thing and, and does a video online for, what, 10 to 15 minutes. I think we're just about doing the right thing and, and questioning exactly the point of that is, you know, why they're doing that. Are they just are they just doing it to appease people? You don't have any belief in that. The proof is not in six every six months releasing a 10 to 15 minute video saying how they care and what their plans are that the proof becomes in the action of of what they do mm. like and the actions always outweigh any words that might come out relatively all right it's it's just it makes me sick that like we we've been speaking for the best part of 20 minutes and we've never mentioned our football teams actually yet it's all about the shit that goes on above yeah you're going to have to trail out the number of the Samaritans after after this because uh, can't imagine the listeners are going to be enjoying this. But I'm, I have found yeah. it a little bit cathartic, oddly. Yeah, well, you know it, it is, and 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 that's the the beauty of uh, the podcast. Writing about Sunderland is sometimes you can just kind of vent what you want to get out. I mean, the, the the amount of times this week that I've had to resist sort of writing <laughs> like a rallying call to get some sort of protest. I mean, I, I don't know how to. I'm not going to say that because I don't know how to organize one, but. 
but but it's with a football club when you have an owner and this billionaire that has all this power over you, you you sometimes don't know how to have how do you have that resistance apart from not showing up and you know i've been reading this week about you know what what protests have worked what kind of leaving not going to the stadium and, and voting with your feet how many times has that worked? And and it doesn't. These billionaires just sit in the seat and they go, well, fine, whatever. And what you're saying to me just before, 12,000 fans, and it doesn't look like they're going anywhere. So it doesn't seem to bother them at all. No, no, they don't go to games. So they're not, you know, people have become apathetic about protesting at home games because the owners aren't there to witness it. So that almost seems um, pointless. But I, I just think back to the days when, when the KC Stadium, as it was then, now it's the KCOM, um, same company, they've just done a, a slight rebrand. You know, we, there was always a sense of potential about Hull City where people said, I know we're, you know, I know we're uh, diving around in the in the bottom division, scuffing around playing Darlington and Hartlepool, but there was always a belief that we could we could do a little bit better and when the when the stadium got built by the the local council um there was a real groundswell of belief and i remember a, a tuesday night in the in the third division um as it was the bottom division where we played swansea we beat them one nil to to go top of the division and there was twenty five thousand people in the stadium and we you know we were we were struggling to sell out in the premier league last season and we, we're getting twelve thousand souls at home games now and you know if you can fill your ground in the fourth division it's, it's got nothing to do with people not supporting the club because of the division they're in it's just because they just see the soullessness and the bleakness of the situation and they, and they, and they can't bear it and and you know it takes a lot to boycott watching your football club as a football supporter it goes against your every instinct to not go watch your team it's a an incredible thing to be driven to you know you get your people who are fair weather and they'll go when they feel like it but when, when you've been going all of your life and um, and you don't really know anything else. Not going to a football game is is a tremendously difficult thing to do. But of course, the the longer you do it, the the, the easier it will get. And that that's when that's what makes me worry for the future of the football club. And when you're pricing children out so that the that that generation of kids can't, so they're they're walking around wearing Harry Kane Tottenham shirts or you know Messi Barcelona shirts, and you and you just think what a lost opportunity. Um, we've we've ten years ago we had this rise up the divisions and we got to the Premier League for the first time and everything felt bright and it just feels that all of that hope and all of that opportunity has been squandered um, and at the moment just because of a of an Egyptian businessman who doesn't care about anything other than what he can extract from the club and it, you know it's truly depressing yeah and you know I, I echo everything you say and it, you just have to change the nationality of our chairman and and the name of the chairman and you've pretty much got a really really similar story give or take one or two um, anomalies I guess but it's it's uh, you're right in what you're saying it's it's so hard I I mean it's I don't live too far away from the stadium like it's three hours on a train it's not that bad in the in the grand scheme of things and I even I feel that kind of sense of guilt that I'm not coming back depressed, drinking like mm. half a bottle of buck fast um, and, and getting high on life, but depressed on the football coming back. Um, but it, it just gets to a point where you just go like, the fuck am I doing here? Like, what's the point? Mm. And you don't want to be like, you don't want to be like that. And, you know, I don't think I'll ever be able to really give up on song. And unfortunately, it was injected into me, you know, from a very, very young age. I, I, I bleed when white, unfortunately, or at least I think I do. Mm. Um 
and, and it's hard to just give up, but it, it gets to a point where, like, I've never in my life since I went to my first match in 1993 had to say, lads, I need a break. I, I can't take this anymore. Like, uh, just and, and it's funny you, you mentioned it. It's not the football. You're right. I, I've seen, when I started following Sunderland, we were kind of the same sort of level, 93 under Terry Butcher, fighting relegation in what was then the Ensley League Division 1. We we had the Kevin Phillips era. We I've, I've had it all, and I've I've never I've always felt like I wanted to go like the fifteen point season and things like that. I think what's really putting me off is going into that stadium feels like I'm going to like the funeral of like a relative. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it's it's how it feels. <laughs> it's just how it feels. Yeah, like every week. Like I I, I mean I, I can't even like laugh nervously at it like I, like I normally do at funerals to be honest. But um, I just feel so disconnected from. The arseholes on the pitch and the arseholes in the boardroom, I think the only thing that keeps me in any way, shape, size or form positive at the moment is the absolute beauty of Chris Coleman and, and the words that he comes out with because that bloke is the right man at such the wrong time. Mm. Such the wrong time. And and I really hope he sticks out because the things he's coming out with, if I've got a belief in anyone at that club, it's him. Um which kind of brings me on to, to your manager, actually. I, I guess we better discuss the, the round thing, the, the actual football. Um, I'll go on <laughs> if we have to, uh, what what was the crack with Leonard? Was it Slutsky? Is that yeah. the correct pronunciation? Yeah, and- Leonard Slutsky. Incredibly nice man. Um, he came to the, uh, the the club did a kit launch at the the exhibition that I was running because it was still running at the time, and uh, so I had a chance to meet Leonard Slutsky. What a lovely chap! He's like the he's like the world's happiest Russian. You, you know, you normally see Russians uh, and they're quite dour and miserable, but this was just like a incredibly cheerful chap and. And over the course of like six months, Hull City broke him. And you could often be seen patrolling the touchline, you know, looking like he was in need of Gavi Scorn. He looked like he was going to vomit a basketball any moment you see him. And and you just saw him go from this happy go lucky <laughs> chat to, to this broken individual that you, you know, thought was like going through four. Four bottles of men off an evening, um, and and now we've set about breaking Nigel Adkins. And yeah, I probably shouldn't say this, but part of me doesn't mind that because I always found Nigel Adkins really irritating when he was the manager of Scunthorpe United, and even a little bit irritating when he was manager of uh, of Southampton. And um, he's got that sort of like really twee positivity where you think he's going to start talking about crystals and karma any second. Um, so I almost think seeing him broken by the Alums might might be fun, certainly um, because. <laughs> What what he's come in and done hasn't really made a great difference. We won one game. That was the new manager bounce over. Um, and, and it's been pretty dire since. You know, at least under Leonard Slutsky, we lost a lot of games, but we also scored a lot of goals, even if we conceded a lot. And the games were, were quasi-entertaining. You know, recently, the games have just been turgid, where, you know, granted, we're tighter at the back and we're not conceding. We don't look likely to score. We, we, we've we've gone five out of the last six games without scoring a goal. Um, and, and it's just really awful to watch. And... I don't know if he just if he now doesn't know really how to change it. I don't think he's going to get backed in the transfer window, but he doesn't even seem to be trying anything. Let's just try a change of formation to see to see if it changes it. So it's interesting with Adkins. I wasn't I wasn't overwhelmed by his appointment when he came in, um, but slowly we're seeing that grinning positivity uh, being whittled away in the same that we saw with the previous manager. So it was a weird appointment. Like and Atkins is, I, I, I actually kind of feel the same way. I, I like 
I look at him and he kind of he does annoy me as well. But Simon Grayson did that as well. But Simon Grayson was he had a, he, similar to, to Slutsky. He he went from being like this. Oh, I, I can't believe I'm here, massive club. Yep, I want to fix it and all that. And and slowly you were just like you haven't got a clue. You're you're actually so broken. And then then he goes on TV on Saturday and is talking about all the problems of Sunderland and this that and the other. And it's like, mate, you made them ten times worse because you were shite. Mm. Like. And I, I, Grayson, I could never dislike the bloke. I kind of feel sorry for him because he was just terrible. But I think talking about Nigel Atkins, maybe I'm being ignorant here, but what, what did he really achieve? What, Southampton? Was that it? Yeah, I mean, what he did at Southampton was pretty impressive. He took him, you know, two divisions, established him in the uh, in the Premier League, and you know, he, got, he generated a lot of sympathy when he was when he was unceremoniously replaced at Southampton. Um, not done a great deal since, admittedly. Really had a really had a poor time at Sheffield United. I know their fans are uh, thoroughly underwhelmed by him, um, but I, I sort of think it doesn't really matter who we appoint at this point. I think you could. Um, you know, do like a Jurassic Park fusing together of the genes of Bobby Robson, Brian Clough and, I don't know, Carlos Alberto. And I'm really not sure it would make any difference given given the state of the club and the, and the fact that the owners just aren't prepared to give the manager the tools to do the job. It's, it's pretty clear, you know, um, we're not scoring goals at the minute and we've already announced that we're not going to try and sign a goal scorer because we've got a couple of injured strikers who are coming back from long-term injury. And you know, what an amazing gamble that is. You know, they've had long-term injuries. In the, in the case of Michael Keane, who we've never really seen anything we've not had a chance to actually see if he's any good. You know, he's had like three really serious knee injuries and you, you sort of think at that point, is he going to be so psychologically damaged you, you never get anything for him? And Abel Hernandez, um, who, you know, has a proven goal-scoring record for his at championship level, he's coming back from quite a serious injury and I just think putting all our hopes in in those baskets is is asking for trouble and ignoring the fact that we're, we're quite in trouble as it is. I mean, if we lose at your place on uh, Saturday, I just think, I'd, I'd, I'd Except that we're relegated already. I think the championship might as well kick us out of the league. I think if you get beat off us, yeah, you probably deserve it, if I'm honest, without bad. Yeah, um, it feels inevitable. It feels inevitable that we're going to come to your place and lose. Well, I hope so, but I, I just... <laughs> even, even then, I couldn't even begin to tell you how we dismantle Hull, which, you know, all due respect, seems a little bit depressing. I feel like I should be able to say that about any club in the Championship and have an idea of how we can beat them, but no, we, we, have, we, we stink, for want of a better word. We're stinking the whole place out, just like we did the league last year. One thing I did want to ask about, since we're on the subject of football, you, you've got a few ex-players at, at Hull. Um, and, and I was going to touch on Steve Bruce, but I think I'll leave that um, <laughs> because I don't <laughs> like the bloke at all. Um, but and, and I'm not a big fan of David Myler either. Someone who pretends he is this huge Sunderland fan has been in with the away fans and then, then celebrates like a wild man when he scores against us. But nonetheless, um, Seb Larson. A guy who did split opinion here at Sunland, but anyone who can pat the Sunland badge in front of the Gallagher end after we've just done them in the ninth last minute, he's fine by me. But how's he doing down at home? Uh, he, had a, he had a shaky start to the season. Uh, I don't know if that was fitness issues, but he's actually been fairly consistent and okay for his recent. Um, our midfield absolutely stinks, but it's hard to to point the finger at Seb Larson. He's he's sort of like been a bit metronomic and consistent in the midfield. So um, you know, of all, of all of the players we're tearing our hair out, Seb Larson is uh, reasonably free of criticism. People are choosing to throw all the brickbats at um, Marcus Henriksen, our uh, Norwegian midfielder. 
talking about Myler is he's fairly popular. I mean, I mean, people understand his limitations. I'm, I'm not pretending the whole City fans will tell you the thing that he's a great footballer, but um, whole City fans just uh, over the last couple of seasons have just seen a, a fire sale every transfer window, and any any player that anybody had any affection for or or hero worship for was just was just sold if they had any kind of monetary value, and it just sort of leaves David Myler as sort of like the last man standing, and so. He's there's sort of a, a bit of affection for him over there. I'm slightly bewildered by his burgeoning career. You know, he's managing to eke out a future career playing FIFA and becoming known for playing FIFA. It's, it's, it's highly bizarre. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no ill will towards towards Myler. You know that there's there's like Jade Goody situations where people sort of get on the back of a player and then there's like a bit of a a sea change where people realise the yeah. criticism's been over the top and they say, oh, actually, I don't mind them, really. That's what's happened to David Myler. There, there, there was a point when we had lots of quite decent players and, and Myler was looking like the poorest of them. But now that he's the only player of that of that group left, sort of people look at him with their affection and a, and a remembrance of those days where we weren't so bad. He's actually all right for us, David Myler, but I think what, what irked a lot of Sunderland fans, and you'll probably remember this, was his absolutely horrific dive to get Lee Catamull sent off a couple of seasons ago under Poirier. Um, and that, it's not as if Catamull needs any help getting sent off, really, is it? Not really, no. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, it's himself. Not, you don't need to dive with him. And, and I think with, with Myler, the problem we have with that is we can probably accept it from certain footballers. But with, with David Myler, the problem I have is that I've been at away games and he's been in the crowd with us. And, and, and I quite like that. Some people say it takes a ticket away from a real fan. I, I quite like that. I think it's nice. I think it's an affection from a former player. But when he does certain things, and then the fact that, I, and I'm, I'm going to state this right now, when a player scores against a former club, I don't mind them celebrating, not in any way, shape, as a form. So when he celebrated like he did in the, the FA Cup, I wouldn't have had a, an issue with that, not at all, as sickening as it was. But the way he kind of seemed to wildly go nuts about it, and then the the dive in the same season, I think it's just rubbed Sunderland fans up the total wrong way because you look at someone like Seb Larson, who was very much a Marmite player. Some people loved him, some people hated him. Um, but he'd, he'd always probably get a, a round of applause if he came back. I, I don't think Myler does when he comes back, and I think a lot of it's to do with the fact that pretends he was one of us and he has an affection for us, but then does us out of games with cheating, effectively. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, but Steve Bruce, that's another conversation anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. <laughs> how, how did you find Bruce, if you don't mind me asking when you left? I, I personally got stand the bloke, but... He is officially the most successful Hull City manager ever, so... I, I have to I feel like I do have to temper any criticism um I had of him and, and what he was exceptionally good at was managing the alums. He had a, a way of rubbing the ego, tickling the belly of Asam Alam and, and extracting money out of him. Um, and during that period, he, uh, we was quite competitive. You know, he, he wasted some of that money, but but by and large, um, he just had the ability to wrap the urn around his finger in a way that no other manager's ever done. You know, prior to Bruce coming, um, Nigel Pearson left acrimoniously. Um, Nick Bambi was was made uh, sort of temporary manager and then was absolutely shafted by the Alums, and they've they've really screwed over every manager since Bruce. So, you know, Bruce has sort of put himself in a position where Hull City fans were, you know, we're, we're fully aware of of how Sunderland fans uh, felt about him, but it's hard for us to really to to uh, to have anything any ill will against him, even if he was running out of ideas at the at the end. Um, 
you know, he mucked up in fourteen fifteen, where he somehow manages to get get us relegated after we'd spent a lot of money and we had a, a pretty decent squad. But he put it right the next season and got us um, promoted at the at the first attempt. And then he had the the the, the nous to sort of get out because he could see what was happening at the club that the the old man owner was sort of passing the torch onto his son because of ill health. The son's a complete idiot and was uh, was going to be even worse. Um, so so Bruce pointedly got out at the right time. So it's a funny one. We I think all City fans complete acknowledge the, the the reputation Steve Bruce has in Sunderland but you know given that is given, given our history of scuffing around in the lower leagues under Steve Bruce he had his you know our highest ever Premier League position took us to a cup final couple of games in Europe it's very hard for us to dislike him really and it's funny enough you say about he's your most successful manager if Steve Bruce would have it he would tell you he was Sunderland's most successful manager because he once actually got us to 10th in the league and I don't know whether he's mentioned it while he's uh, been away from Sunderland but yeah he got us to 10th in the league and he likes to remind everyone of that about how he actually managed that and uh, yeah, that kind of irks people a little bit because when he was here, he, uh, he, there's a lot of things he said since he's left, like the fact he was handed out because he was uh, Jordy. Very much not true. He's handed out because he didn't win a game in the best part of a year back end of the six months from December onwards and then the season forward and he basically pissed the Jordan Henderson money right up the wall and spent it on players like Craig Gardner and, and uh, Kieran Westwood and, and actually Seb Larson who turned out all right in the end but um, brought them all in on big wages free transfers six million here there wasted all that money so yeah he, he doesn't go down too well but um, moving on to the, the game on Saturday just to kind of to end there's a question that I've started asking every single podcast now so I'll, I'll ask a double-edged questioner. Uh, first and foremost, is there anyone in the Sunderland side that you would take in the whole team? And second of all, what is your prediction for Saturday's game? I'll take the second question first. I'm, my, my heart's saying we're going to get beat. Um, I'm also saying I can imagine this being another nil-nil draw. Um, as for who from Sunderland I would take? Yeah, there's not many. You've asked me a couple of months ago, I might have said Lewis Graban, but he's cleared up back to Bournemouth, hasn't he? And um, Yeah. Um, Everyone said Graban, funnily enough. If I'm talking yeah, about yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's quite damning, the fact that I don't want any of them that are left. Um, <laughs> but then again, don't I'm pretty you. sure that would be the same The same if I asked you that question. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be taking any of Hull City's players. Well, I'd have said, I'd have said back, but I think, uh, think that would be an unpopular opinion between the fan base. But I'd have said back, that's about it, I think. Fair enough. We do need a centre forward. We need. We've got no centre forwards. James Vaughan's gone now. Uh, Graben's gone back. We've got Josh Madger, who's eighteen year old, and Joel Asoro, who's nineteen twenty. So if you have any sort of spare centre forwards kicking about, which it doesn't sound like you do, maybe take one of them. No, um, all of our all of our strikers are injured. You'd have to put them on a segue if you're going to get them on a pitch. I think. <laughs> we might have to with our uh, with our wage budget and our transfer budget, but I suppose that that really sums up our both of our seasons, doesn't it? I'm I'm clamouring to think who I would take from the Hulls team. You're unable to think of who you'd take from our team. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the most depressing but best way to end the podcast. Absolutely, um, it feels like this has been like a mutual counselling session. 
Yeah, I feel a little bit cleansed after this, at least until in the morning anyway. So I hope we've uh, I hope we've done similar for you as well. <laughs> um, for predictions for the podcast, I think I might agree with you. I think nil-nil. Uh, we can't score. We haven't been too solid defensively, but I've been looking at your results. You last take out the FA Cup. You haven't won any, but you haven't really lost too many. You've drew a lot nil-nil. Mm. So I, I have a feeling a nil-nil again, but whether that does us any good, I don't know. But no, It's not going to do either of us any good whatsoever over is it no I mean if, if we can't take the game to Reading at home I mean Reading was a incredibly limited and unambitious side and if we can't take the game to them at home I don't see how we then travel to the stadium alight and take it to Sunderland away it just seems highly improbable you don't need to do anything with Sunderland you just wait for us to fuck it up like that that's the aim of the game effectively <laughs> Wait for us to make the mistakes. If that's the case, there's going to be two teams waiting for the other team to fuck it up. It's going to be like, you know, both teams will bring their own half with the ball still on the centre circle with nobody touching it. We're like that for 90 minutes. I just feel like a single tear is rolling down my eye with either laughter or depression. I don't know. I'm a kind of mix of the both. (laughs) But thanks very much for coming on, Les. It has actually been quite an entertaining and insightful podcast considering we're both going through, um, well, if I do say so myself there, but anyway, um, going through a very similar situation I think and any football fan across the board and you know I'll include Newcastle in this have similar feelings and emotions for their football club so we all know what it feels like when things are just dead dead in the water and, and unambitious and unexciting but I, I, I said this to I, d- I did an interview earlier today with a former player when we were talking about the chairman but the one thing that is a real positive and I'd like to end it on this is that there won't always be an Ellis Short and there won't always be the Allens, but you know, there'll always be a Sunland and there'll always be a Hull, no matter what yeah. they do. So one of these days, no matter what we go through, we will come back, both of us, I'm sure. You can never truly break a football fan spirit and you can never truly break a football club. So there is there's maybe some light at the end of the tunnel if you fixate on that. Yeah, it is the hope that kills you though, isn't it? That's a famous Sunland saying and they actually write a, they write a little <laughs> paragraph or so for us every other week. It is the hope that I can't stand indeed, but I don't know whether I've ever had it, to be honest. But thanks for coming on, Les. I, I always say this every week. I, I won't wish you luck on Saturday because I'm not going to be lying to you and talking shit. I hope we absolutely hammer you, but I don't see it. Good luck for the rest of the season after that. And thanks for coming on. Welcome. Thank you very much. Cheers, Les. Thanks, mate. So, yeah, I actually found that really quite cathartic, as I was just <laughs> saying with Les there. It was, it was perfect. And, and hopefully, hopefully, and I say this every bloody week, we're talking about a win come the end of it. I have my fears it won't. I have my fears we might finally realise that no matter what happens in January, no matter what things Chris Coleman says, this is just going to be that season where we're going to have to just suck it up I hope that League One is a blessing in disguise but hey it's January there's many games that this can be turned around thanks for popping in again listen to me ramble about how shite we are we've had someone who can reflect that back to us for once I hope you join us the week after but we'll be speaking to someone else from another club who probably is not going to be as depressed as me and Les so hey if you want to hear some positivity join us next week it's Graham signing off cheers Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.